everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance Podcast. My name is Bree, and I am joined today by one of my favorite people. We literally chat all the time, and this is kind of weird. I'm turning the tables on her, but my friend Rachel is here, film critic Rachel Wagner. Welcome, finally, to the Categorically Romance Podcast. Tell our listeners all about you, Rachel. I am so excited. I love this podcast, and I love any chance I get to talk with you. We we took a, a little hiatus from our from the show that we were doing on Hallmarkies podcast, so we haven't been chatting as much as normal, and uh, miss it. I miss I, uh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, this is great. I love romantic fiction. I started when I was in college, well, just starting college, I first read uh, Sense Sensibility, and that was kind of my uh, um, my jumping off point, and then I read the rest of Jane Austen, and I absolutely loved, I still to this day love her books, and uh, and it wasn't until I was a little bit older that I got very, very interested in reading until mm-hmm. I was in college, sort of those, that my twenties is where I really started in high school. I, I read a lot of, um, John Grisham, which is really grand. <laughs> a lot of legal, legal thrillers. Um, but, but as far as romance, that was Jane Austen was really my, uh, gateway. So was it yeah. for a class or did you have a friend that was like, Hey, have you read this? Like, how did that happen? Yeah. So my mom is a big reader she's a big classics lover. Uh, and I had, a month off because uh, I was going to community college, and I it, had, it hadn't been that long since the uh, only um, since sensibility had come out, and there was also the um, of Paltrow Emma, and like there was just a lot of Pride and Pride and Pleasure Colin Firth. Like the late '90s had like a lot of uh, Jane Austen going on, and uh, so I, I'm not sure what exactly why I I decided to read Sense Sensibility as the first one, but I am. Um, I did, and I loved it so much. I read uh, *Pride and Prejudice* and I think *Persuasion* mm-hmm. in that month off that I had. Like I was I devoured it, and for years, I would read all six of her main books every year. Every it was year, a tradition I had, um, and a lot of times listening. And that's. I think that's part of the reason why I was a little bit late to reading, just because I have some dyslexia, and so mm-hmm. reading wasn't. I didn't pick up on reading super easily when I was okay. little. Um, and, uh, and my mom would read aloud to us a lot. She would read Lord of the Rings to us. She would read Little Women. And, and that was the, Little Women was the first like big book I ever read that I was like proud of. <laughs> um, but, uh, but Roald Dole, I loved Roald Dole. I loved the Babysitter's Club when I was in middle school. Uh, I, I am literally books. reading my second ever Babysitter's Club book right now. And uh, I'm loving it. It's, I'm reading one of the mysteries. Like I would love to buy all those mysteries. I think they're like, I think they did maybe like 39 of them, but people are like asking for a buku amount of money on eBay for, for those books. I'm like, no way. (laughs) It's so good. I know she just kept my collection. Oh, Uh, I mean, I loved uh, Laurel, Laura Ingalls Wilder, the little house books. Mm -hmm. I loved, um, yeah, those are some of my favorites. Uh, I, I when I was in middle school, I loved Cheaper by the Dozen. Oh, and yeah. if you've only seen the uh, the Steve Martin movies, they're the books are are memoir uh, written by 
the two of the 12 children uh, about their parents, Frank and Lillian Gilbreth, who were, um, mo they were motion study experts. They'd go into factories and they would figure out how to reduce the number of motions in making a particular product so that they could make it more quickly and better and whatever. And uh, they kind of took those, that sort of analytical style into raising 12 children. And the book is so funny, so charming. <laughs> I love it so much, still to this day. <laughs> so those are some favorites growing up, but I didn't like become a voracious reader until I was a little older. And audiobooks, I think, helped a lot because it just helped with my the way my brain worked. Yeah. Well, we connected through our love of Hallmark. You're like one of the biggest Hallmark and just rom-com romance on film fans out there. Tell it like how, okay, have you been watched? Have you been a fan of movies your entire life? How did you get into the film critic space? And yeah. then like I, you and me have talked about this offline, but I'm like, when you think of film critic, you don't think of them talking and loving like rom-coms, but you do. So then how did Hallmarkies come yeah. to be? I feel like I just asked you like three things. So <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting journey. I was always a fan of movies and television, much to my parents' chagrin. <laughs> they, 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 my parents don't particularly like film or, or, or television. Um, like I said, my mom's a big reader. My dad enjoys being outside, uh, doing things like motorcycle you know dirt bike racing things like that that's more my dad he loves camping and uh and uh, i always i always loved film and television and i would find a way to like sneak shows that i was supposed to watch or, or watch movies at my friend's house if we were <laughs> and one thing my parents were really good at though is they uh they they didn't want us just mindlessly consuming content they wanted us to think about it and so my, my mom in particular was really good about sitting us down, usually in the kitchen while she was cooking or doing whatever. And well, so why did you like it? What was good about that? Why, you know, what, what things did you enjoy about that? And, and so then we talk about it. And, and, uh, and so that was kind of the way that I was brought up and, and with my siblings as well. Like they, my brother introduced me to a lot of different, he was the one who introduced me to Monty Python. He introduced me to uh, a bunch of a bunch of stuff, and uh, and so I I went away to college, and I thought that like everybody was analytical about them the way that I had been raised to be. And I remember going to see Chocolat with my friends, and <laughs> I didn't care for the film. And I was talking, I was like, oh, I didn't like the way they portrayed this, and blah 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 blah. I was going on doing my spiel, and uh, and my friend looks at me and says, we just wanted to watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because to me, that's what makes it fun is the, the conversation and the and the the, anal the analysis of it. Not for every film, but for most films. And I've always loved animation. I've always loved rom coms my whole life. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and so I don't know. I just kind of uh, I started uh, when I came back from my mission, and I I. And then I worked for three years in this job that I absolutely just hated. It was miserable. I was going to grad school. So I quit that job and I needed like an outlet. And so I started writing this personal blog at the time and I would include some movie reviews. And then I, this is probably way longer of a story than you want, but. No, this is perfect. I, and I'm like, oh, the days of blogs. I love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. 2008 was like, <laughs> um, 
And so then in 2014, I tore my MCL in my knee and I couldn't move. And I was like, what am I going to do? I am like stuck in this room, you know? And, and so I decided I was going to review the Disney canon and which is something I had always wanted to do at the time. It was 54 films. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I started my my movie blog, which was 54 Disney reviews, because that was all I was planning on doing. I was terrible at SEO because I had all these different things with different names and, and it took a while to streamline them to Rachel's reviews. And and uh, and so I I did that and I just really enjoyed it. I enjoyed writing about film and I enjoyed the conversation. And and, uh, and so I started writing for a couple different sites. I kept going beyond the 54 films and I uh, started my YouTube channel. And uh, I at first, the po- first podcast I ever did was uh, was getting ready for The Force Awakens. My friend Abby and Jeremy and I, we, um, uh, we talked about the different Star Wars movies mm-hmm. uh, leading up to Force Awakens. And I really enjoyed that. And, uh, and then in 2017, I, this Anne with an E was coming out. And I, I thought, that might be interesting to cover. I love Andrew Gables. That was another favorite growing up. And, uh, and so I put on my Facebook, anyone want to cover Anne with an E with me? And my friend Amber, she responded and, uh, and she said she would be interested. And so we did it and we hated the show. <laughs> that was absolutely terrible. As and, it happens. <laughs> yeah. But people liked us. People liked our chemistry. And we found out that we both liked rom-coms and we both liked uh, Hallmark Christmas movies. And she was way more knowledgeable than I was at the time. Uh, I just had some that I loved. And we did this um, for Christmas in July over on my channel. We did this, our top 12 uh, Hallmark Christmas movies. And uh, and it went out so well, people liked it. And so we started, we did like two or three episodes on my channel and it was going so well. We're like, this is, needs to be its own thing. So then we created Home Murphy's podcast and that 2017 uh, season Christmas was our first season that we covered. And uh, eventually uh, it just became too overwhelming for Amber. And so she kind of moved away which, from it, which is fine. And, uh, and uh, we kind of developed this sort of co-host format mm-hmm. uh, that has just been amazing. I can't believe it that people are willing to, give up their time to, to help me and, and my dreams. And, um, we, and you know, we, we've kind of developed this, uh, our shtick, I guess, is that we cover everything. Yeah. Uh, and we don't expect anybody to listen to all of our content, uh, but we, we provide it. If there is something going on in the rom-com world, we, uh, we have it covered. That's kind of the theory that if you, are looking for some kind of coverage on something, then nine times out of 10, we've got, we're going to cover it. Yeah. Yeah. When did you get comfortable with like kind of expanding beyond Hallmark? Pretty early on, actually. Uh, That was uh, part of it is because we um, were just kind of looking for stuff to cover. Um, I remember one time we did (laughs) one time with Amy, we, uh, we, we, we were like, well, what should we talk? We don't have anything to talk about. And uh, so we're like, well, do you want to talk about Harry Potter? Because she was like a huge Harry Potter fan. And and we ended up doing an episode on Harry Potter. And we got lots of feedback, like uh, 
that it was too off brand, but we literally had nothing else. So there would be no episode. So it was, it was fine. But um, a lot of that was just sort of by necessity, but also uh, certain parts of it were trying to continue to grow the brand and reach new audiences. I kind of felt like we had reached all the Hallmark people that were going to listen. We kind of tapped into them. So that was part of the reason why I wanted to cover Sex in the City. When it just like that was on, uh, I I thought, I mean, it was hard because it, it debuted in December. I was like, oh, that's tough. You know, to <laughs> that in, Christmas time. <laughs> I talked to Jax and she was up for it. And, uh, and so she and I had such a great time that we decided to do the Sex in the City. And I just, I, I, I felt like that was a big risk for our, you know, whether our audience would be Hallmark, by that. Yeah, we're like, we're, we may get a kiss in the middle of the movie, but it's like <laughs> end of the movie for sure is the kiss. So yeah. when you had talked about Sex in the City, I was like, oh man, I love this because I'm such a fan of this show, but yeah. how is this going to go over with our Hallmark audience? <laughs> but yeah, it was but so smart. That, it was I so smart. It. There were some weeks that the Sex in the City recap won the week, which amazed yeah. me. And yeah. I think it's because Jax and I have really good chemistry. And also, it is something different and refreshing. And and I the other reason why I wanted to do it is I was tired of people infantilizing me. I felt like people treated me like a child because I covered Hallmark and because I covered animation. Mm-hmm. And all that, oh, well, you can't you can't talk about that or I'm Rachel, you can't do that, you know? And that was very annoying to me. And so I, I kind of wanted to also cover sex in the city to show that I like, I'm a grown up. I can handle mature content that's made well. Yeah. And so that was also part of it. The, the other thing that kind of, as far as my journey as a critic, I was added to Rotten Tomatoes in 2019. And that really changed everything because I had not applied. They found my writing on Rotoscopers, which was was an animation site. They liked my writing and they came to me and I thought that it was a joke at first. I, I I thought it was, you know, somebody tricking me uh, because I hadn't applied and uh, I didn't, they actually had to email me a couple times. They were like, (laughs) (laughs) I finally looked up the lady. I'm like, oh, that's really your name. That's really, (laughs) like, sure. And, uh, (laughs) I feel like the best things ever always start with one person thinking it's a joke. (laughs) (laughs) And and so once I was on Rotten Tomatoes, I was able to get on the press list, the local press list, uh, which was a huge uh, win, I guess, for me, because for so long, as far as going to press screenings, I had had to hustle for like two, three years for every single one, I would be uh, be up to, because there was like a raffle. And so I'd be up to get hopefully a spot in the raffle. And if I, if I got the uh, ticket, I would have to drive into Salt Lake to get the tickets. And then I would have to show up like an hour or two hours early uh, because they gave out more tickets than receipts. And I only missed one movie that I didn't get into uh, was the um, second Michael Bay um, Ninja Turtles movie. Mm, okay, <laughs> so it wasn't a huge last, right? But uh, <laughs> but anyway, it was a it was a lot of work. Yeah, and so getting on the press list and just being able to just go to any of them was amazing and is amazing. And so that changed a lot of things. And I started going 
to festivals. I covered my first, I covered my first Sundance in 2016, and that's been amazing. I've gone to New York Film Festival, South by Southwest. Uh, I look forward to hopefully going to, to, to TIFF maybe this year. Gone to D23 many times. Um, so that, all of that has just added to uh, being a, being where I'm at as far as a critic. I, I have on my channel, I do my family movie night every Monday. Uh, so if people are looking for you know, family recommendations, they should check that out. Uh, and I just, I love it. I have so much fun. I, I, and I love Hallmarkies podcast. I'm so proud of it. I, and we, I, I never thought I would interview over 400 people. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. And, uh, I just, I just love it. It's so great. With Hallmark, like, I mean, and when you started Hallmarkies, what, there was what, maybe one other podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were a couple, uh, the big, I guess the biggest one was All the Feels, uh, which is on hiatus right now, but they'll be back for the, for the Christmas, I guess. But um, mm-hmm. uh, they, that was the only other one of any that I knew of, at least. Oh, my and, goodness. Uh, so, yeah, I, I sometimes I think it was it the right move to name it Hallmarkies Podcast uh, because we do cover more than just Hallmark. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but that's what we did, so... <laughs> I think it's interesting because ever since I dis- I discovered Hallmarkies first, and then I think obviously Apple, I think recommended all the fields to me. And mm-hmm. those two became like my go-to for Hallmark content. And like you yeah. said, all the fields, they take hiatus after the holidays. Um, but <laughs> you and I were talking and I was like, I'm seeing all these Hallmark podcasts pop up, like especially during Christmas. I feel like a lot of people will start a podcast just yeah. to cover Hallmark's Christmas movies. Yeah. Um, and it, I think it's interesting. Like, what do you think? Because um, I, I don't know. I feel like Hallmark still has a stigma in, I guess, like media, the romance world. Mm. But clearly there is interest there. Yeah. Um. I don't know. So, what do you think as far as like coverage and all of that? Like, you see, you see podcasts like pop up and they'll do a couple of episodes and then they kind of go away. And it's like, guys, this takes a lot of work. But I think it's yeah. that excitement of like, I want to talk about this too. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize how much work it is. Uh. The, I think they said the average podcast doesn't go more than six episodes. Yeah. That's <laughs> what I heard here. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's a ton of work. I. I don't know how anybody does it that has like a family like you. Uh, unbelievable. You amaze me uh, because I mean, I'm just single so I can devote my whole life to this and, uh, and it's fine. <laughs> but uh, uh, I, people definitely don't realize how hard it is, how demanding it is. And a lot of it is stuff that people don't see. People think, Oh, you're just sitting there talking. Like not that hard. They don't see the prep work that goes into getting the guests to getting co-hosts on a particular topic, getting the right people. All that stuff takes thought and and then watching the material, creating notes, good questions. All of that is is effort and time. And uh, and then after you've recorded, of course, then you have to schedule the time to record. And then after you've recorded, you have to, uh, unless you're super 
uh, popular and you have your own editor, which is my dream. Uh, but because uh, this is definitely my least favorite part is going through and editing. <laughs> uh, and I, sometimes I, I'm more fastidious, I guess, than other times. Uh, I'll take out every single um and every single and, and that can take hours if I'm oh, yeah. really trying to make it perfect. Yeah. But I produce too much content to be that picky. And for you will literally like, edit like five episodes a day sometimes. Yeah. I'm like, no, yeah. ma'am, Rachel. <laughs> like yesterday I did, I did, I did a whole day of work as seven hours with my new, new part-time job that I have. I, I uh, had dinner with my mom for Mother's Day and then I came home and edited three episodes of the podcast. Oh my gosh. <laughs> The most I've edited, I think I did, I think I did edit three on a Sunday one day and I was like, never again. The most I will do now is like, is two. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like you said, like, especially at Christmas. I mean, yeah. it, there the are episode some, maybe like an hour that, long, right? But you might've spent over two hours editing it. <laughs> it, it. Christmas there are sometime when we post not only just daily, but multiple times a day. And, uh, and so those are going to be, I'm not, I'm not going to be as careful. That's going to be leaving in the ums and the stuff like that. And I rarely get anybody saying they have a problem with it. So eh, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. I think like when you're like, uh, before I started podcasting, I was reading all these blogs and it was like, think of the people that are listening on headphones, make sure you're taking out this and take out the ums and take out the log. And you finally get to a part a place where you're like I don't care about the long pause I'm just gonna leave it in there I'm gonna leave the ums in there like this is how this person talks let's just leave it (laughs) exactly exactly and they if they want I think people understand they were a homegrown small uh operation and and uh, they they get it and uh and so yeah it's uh it's it's a lot we do make a lot of content there's no denying it but um I'm it's so fun I'm I'm not a I leave uh, I leave the critique of my content in the hands of other people I am not objective at all because <laughs> I, I think it's me for me criticizing episodes of of anything that I do it's kind of like it would be sort of like criticizing or critiquing a conversation I have with a friend because it, that's genuinely how I feel about all, basically every episode that I had such a great time. It was so much fun talking with, you know, the co-hosts or, or about whatever we were talking about and, uh, or whoever I was interviewing for the most part of, you know, great experiences. And so it just feels, I just love everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like if you're going to gripe about an, um, Oh, well, I had a yeah. blast having that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for the most part, people are super, uh, super nice. And yeah. uh, we did get one comment, uh, one review uh, where they said that I had an atrocious accent. I was like, I didn't even know I had an accent. Right. <laughs> it's enough. News to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, so. we're, I wanted you to come on today because we've already been talking about this and I've been so excited, but like. I mean, obviously, I does, does it feel for you? And I think that we see this more so during the holidays. Obviously, like Hallmark has been doing holiday movies for forever. And like mm-hmm. all these other networks have kind of cashed in on it. And I feel like made for TV, romance made for TV 
feels like it's having a moment because I'm like, E all of a sudden had like three or four rom-coms yeah. they put out. Like, does it feel for you like romance made for TV is in is having a moment right now or what? I mean, it is exciting that we're seeing this rom-com renaissance in the last two years. Well, last year and this year, uh, not only made for TV, but feature film as well. Mm -hmm. uh, that, because there was a, really a good decade where Hollywood was not making rom-coms. And even the rom-coms that they were making were usually more masculine in feel than uh, like something like a... Um, Horty old virgin or something like that that's more of a dude film <laughs> and and so the judd apatow type movies that 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 was like the rom-coms that we were getting for a while uh, and so people turned to hallmark because that was that was where you could watch rom-coms i know that's part of the reason why i started watching them uh, is because that was the only place <laughs> and uh, so it's been very exciting the last two years to see uh, i mean right now we've got book club and love again uh, in theaters so two rom-coms in current yeah um, and book club and has like an older set of cast which mm -hmm. they were hilarious in the previous yeah. one so i can't yeah. wait to see this new one it's pretty funny pretty funny and so that's very exciting so i think rom-coms in general are having a moment but uh the as far as the tv movies i mean people love to uh there's nothing that there's nothing that inspires a trend more than success and the success that hallmark has been having people are going to want to you know copy and, and come on board with that and, and and it's it's very gratifying because for so long as i said they weren't making movies for women not mm -hmm. just rom-coms but just in general uh, that most movies were made for 17 year old boys and to appeal to 17 year old boys. And, uh, and so I'm grateful as a woman and as a podcaster that, that there's some content being made for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, <laughs> we've had some, um, some duds I'd say yeah, yeah. recently. How do we, th I was thinking, <laughs> you know, we all just, putting it out there so one of our most recent movies that i actually watched i totally i tend to forget to set things to record um but we we watched spring breakthrough that was the latest hallmark mahogany movie and i was thinking and it wasn't just necessarily at this movie but i'm like hallmark really um is gonna have to get to a point where maybe they have some younger right like they i feel like they're gonna have to start um making movies for a specific age demographic like they're yeah. gonna have to have maybe some younger actresses like those early 20s early 30s you know like I, I don't know like I just feel That's like their demographic they, they we got to bring in a new audience right yeah. like to keep it going do you ever feel like that or no yeah, I mean, that's kind of the same thing I was talking about with the Sex in the City and trying to expand the audience that was listening to Hallmarkies podcast. And some people that might never have thought to listen to Hallmarkies podcast, hopefully they see, oh, they're covering that. That's interesting. And and so that's you know what you have to be careful because you don't want to go so off brand that it's like not a part of that feels completely uh, inauthentic to your brand. But you do have to 
try to reach new audiences, especially on cable, because so many people don't have cable. Yeah. So you have to try to, to reach new people. And, uh, and so that's, you know, something that they're trying to do and tell more stories. But yeah, I, I feel like they uh, started really great with the mahogany movies. Uh, uh, and, and then the last two, maybe three, I mean, Holiday Stocking was, was pretty good. Uh, but I've seen not only a dip in the overall entertainment of the films, but I've seen a dip in the quality of filmmaking, mm-hmm. um, particularly Spring Breakthrough, I thought was really not well made. Uh, the, the sound mix, the directing, the acting, uh, it was weak. And uh, yeah. it felt like something that you see on like own channel or BT or something like that, which tend to have not the production values of Hallmark. Um, so that was disappointing. Uh, but also just, I, just the story, the characters were very unlikable. Um, I thought it was so strange that she wore her veil through the entire wedding ceremony down. <laughs> you guys didn't mention that in. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I thought that was so odd. She's supposed to be this like modern college student, you know, sort of progressive painted through the the thing. And then for her to wear the veil down like that, I have never seen that in a TV yeah. movie ever. And I thought that was very strange. Um, but, and like, you want to see her, this is the wedding. You want to see her face. Yeah. And you have this gorgeous actress and we're so weird. Yeah. <laughs> Well, anyway, really, that was, movie is what's what inspired this conversation. I was like, I texted you. I think it was like, I don't know, eight in the morning, my time. And I'm like, <laughs> how do we make this work? So the, my one of my big issues with Spring Breakthrough is the same issue that I've had with a couple of other Hallmark movies. So like just talking about them doing things different. I feel like they're trying to like uh, step their toes into this lane of like giving us movies that for that feel more like women's fiction ish. But we come to Hallmark for the romance, right? So like with Spring Breakthrough, I feel like it was this journey for Monica, the mother. And, you know, she finds out she loses her job and she finds out her her college senior daughter has been proposed to and she's totally against it. And it feels so much like her journey. But we also get a wedding at the end and we also see Monica get a happy ever after at the end. But the happy ever after just didn't really feel that believable because it didn't feel like a romance movie. There was so much else going on. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's really, I feel like (laughs) what sparked this conversation. I'm like, Rachel, what do we do? How do we get this right? Yeah. Cause if you're going to have such unlikable characters being kind of mean, you have to have it be really funny in order for it to work. And and then all the other stuff kind of has to be, the chemistry has to be great, the the production. Because uh, if you think about like Two Tickets to Paradise recently came out and they're pretty unlikable in there. But the movie was funny enough and they had chemistry enough and it was beautiful enough, well-made enough that it worked. You could, enough. Can, you could forget. I mean, it wasn't like great, but it was <laughs> yeah. fine. Uh, but uh, I, I, that's the thing is that I really think for that movie, Spring Breakthrough, to work, it needed to be really funny. It needed and to be funny. It Otherwise, funny it's just mean. Yeah, it's just it mean. mean. Yeah. Yeah. And people are comparing it to Monster-in-Law, and I'm like, I mean, I don't think that movie's that great, to be honest, but 
and you have an academy two-time academy award-winning actress there like playing the monster-in-law so you know yeah. something different than <laughs> what we had in spring break through well you sent over some tropes so yes your first one's enemies to lovers like how do we do enemies to lovers especially like if if you're doing it on tv like if it's hallmark channel or up tv and it's like mm-hmm. 84 minutes or something what do you think how do you make it work on film mm-hmm. listen this is the one i probably thought the most about uh for some reason and i think maybe because i love pride and prejudice so much and you think about why most of these enemies to lovers are kind of based on pride and prejudice and why does pride and prejudice work with this enemies to lovers story uh where it so often doesn't work and the key i think is and i've said this many times on the podcast is that if you look at pride and prejudice everybody around lizzie and darcy loves them loves them they're beloved characters they just don't like each other and so we know that if the two of them could figure out their business that they would be great but because they are so beloved by everybody around them and that's what makes it work and too often in enemies to lovers you have these characters who are just miserable human beings that nobody likes you don't care about them you don't want them to get together you're not rooting for them it doesn't feel authentic when they do get together and so then it's it's frustrating and you think the same thing about like say you've got mail uh or those uh perfumery stories that everybody pretty much around both Kathleen and Joe love them and support them and that you know that they're kind people and funny people and and everything and it's just the two of them that don't get along but they love they also love each other through their writing and that that's a very romantic thing is that are we falling in love with each other through our words uh but uh, but yeah I think that's the key is making the two characters likable outside of their dislike for each other oh that's a that's a good one because I'm like Spring Breakthrough, going back to it, it didn't feel, it felt like enemy to lover. Like, I don't think the love interest yeah. knew that he was in an enemy situation, <laughs> which I can't stand that. I see that a lot in romance novels when yeah. one, like, like one person clearly doesn't know <laughs> what the trope mm-hmm. is and the other person does. But like with Monica, we didn't really get to see her relationship with anybody else. Like we knew she was a mom, but we didn't really get to see her like with her daughter. Yeah. Like she wasn't really humanized, you know, through the characters like around her. So that's, those are such good points, Rachel. Yeah. Like I feel like Gerard um, Butler was in a bunch of rom-coms. There were enemy lovers that were terrible. And uh, like the one with Jennifer Aniston, I can't, Bounty Hunter. Oh, so bad. So <laughs> bad. And it's because there's no chemistry because they're both just terrible. And I hated them both. Okay, your next one is Love Triangle. What inspired you to put on this on the list and I think <laughs> your this thoughts? is the I think this is the hardest one to, okay. to nail to do right. And I think it's typically more found in television shows than in uh, movies uh, because okay. it's a way of kind of stretching out the romance as we create a love triangle. And uh, that I think the bad ones leave the team not picked unhappy and upset and uh, and then they drag on too long and we certainly saw that with when calls the heart <laughs> mm, i was personally happy about <laughs> what happened with her picking lucas just because 
as a podcaster, I was like, this is interesting. This is not expected. <laughs> this is going to have more to talk about, more to, I, I agree that it was not handled particularly well in the way that they, some of the choices, I'm like, that was very confusing if you were expecting her to pick, uh, if you were, if you were building it up for her to pick Lucas, uh, you made weird choices, but, um, uh, but overall it was kind of refreshingly happy about it. And, uh, but you know, of course, Twilight had your love triangle. Oh yeah. Um, there's not that many that are great. I would say, I guess some good ones, I think the notebook is actually pretty good as far as the love triangle between you got James Marsden, Ryan Gosling, Rachel mm-hmm. McAdams characters, and they're like they're each compelling, and you could see her picking each of each, both of them. I think that one's pretty good. Uh, there's a movie from the '80s called Some Kind of Wonderful that I love, and uh, I think it's an underrated John Hughes movie. And what I love about it is you have our lead character and there's two women that uh he's uh picking against uh, mary stewart masterson and and leah thompson and it would have been easy to make the leah thompson character just sort of one note mean girl popular girl but she's actually got like a personality and uh there's a backstory to her and so you care and you can see him picking either of those uh but um uh so that one's a good one uh, there's tons of bad ones. <laughs> okay, so what do you think? Have you are you a Pretty in Pink fan or no? I think that one's pretty good. Yeah, okay. I haven't seen it in a while. But. I haven't seen it in a lot while either. But I know that's like one of those movies that people are like, "Why did she pick so and so?" And there are like this other camp of people that are like, "Clearly, she had to go with this guy." Yeah, <laughs> I mean, one of the worst ones for me, at least on Hallmark, was a movie called Yes I Do, as I just couldn't stand that film. <laughs> And they have this love triangle between Jen Lilly and Jessica Landis and Marcus Rosner. And I didn't understand why he didn't pick Jessica Landis. She was like, wait, there's like the Jen Lilly character. She keeps running away from all these weddings. And (laughs) I just, I hated the characters. I hated the story. I I just thought that one was really bad. But, I haven't um, seen them do this in a while. And I know you and I talked a lot about this a couple of years ago when they were doing it. It felt like they were doing it a lot. And I guess it in a, in a weird way, it's kind of love triangle-ish. But like, oh gosh, there was the, I feel like it was Tyler Hines and it was one of the um, Fall Harvest movies. But like they were doing these plot lines where one character would be in a relationship for like, over an hour of the movie with yeah. someone else and then like the last 15 minutes we're supposed yeah. to believe that they're like now in this happy relationship with the actual love interest and i'm like this this does not work for me there's one i think it's called autumn dreams with jill wagner mm-hmm. and she has this uh she has this and i think um what's his name colin eggersfield i think is in that i can't remember who the guy is but anyway she um she gets married uh, to this guy when she's like 18 and then uh, everything gets, they get annulled and broken up and then they lose contact with each other. And then she ends up getting engaged to this nice guy. And, uh, and then this, the guy from the past comes back into town, messes everything up and you feel so bad for this guy that she's engaged to. Like, oh my gosh. I mean, sometimes they do that and the guy's like such an obvious jerk 
that you don't feel that bad. But, but yeah, with some of them, you're just like, why did you write it that way? Yeah. <laughs> so bad. I feel like it adds more conflict if they're both actually pretty good guys. Like yeah. if one of them's clearly a bad guy. You're like, get rid of this, get rid of him. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, I love this next one. Like, I feel like it is just a God tier trope. Fake dating. Fake dating. Yeah. It's pretty fun. It's usually a, a, a good one. Uh, the tall boys, uh, of course, the, one of the classics of the genre back in the forties is Christmas in Connecticut. Such Basically is the, uh, ancestor to all these homework movies. Uh, if you haven't seen it, you should definitely watch it. It's really good. And in that movie, uh, she plays a, uh, a columnist who writes these beautiful, uh, articles about uh home life and cooking and, and she would basically be like she was like joanna Gaines before joanna yeah, Gaines. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the secret is is that she like lives in the city and doesn't have any babies in an and apartment doesn't have baby, babies <laughs> and so this, uh, yeah, so this um soldier comes back and he wants a uh, old-fashioned christmas uh made by her and somehow he gets in so they they construct this whole lie. Uh, they go to this country house and they're trying to trick the, the soldier. And of course she falls in love with the soldier. And so then things get super complicated. <laughs> and she has, they, in the town, all the women have, uh, they, they, they work in this factory. They, they take turns bringing her, their babies for yes. her to watch. It's, it's so messy. And so like, the soldier's like looking at the baby. And he's like, this is a different baby. <laughs> <laughs> they're like what you're crazy he's like, oh. so it's so funny hilarious and she she doesn't know how to cook like anything and so all that is really really funny and so there's a great tradition of these stories with the fake fake boyfriends fake uh, fiancés yeah there's so much at stake I mean obviously like her her reputation that she's built like she's kind of like this I don't know go-to for like cooking and home ideas <laughs> and it's all built on a lie there's so much at stake so much to lose and then once the plot gets rolling there's just shenanigan after shenanigan and for it to be an old black and white movie it's just it's so good. It's like, don't yeah. sleep on these old movies because they yeah. really do have some gems. Yeah, it's so good. But it can be absolutely terrible as well. Like uh, uh, there was one on Hallmark, one of the worst ones I've ever seen. It's called Home by Spring, uh, which I think is actually a horror movie. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> I say it's like Hallmark's version of Get Out. Oh my God. They bring this... Uh, so she pretends to be this wedding planner, uh, event planner. And the very first thing these people do when they sit down with her is they just, they just says, I hate liars. <laughs> and then she goes and she makes her, her, all her friends, family, including her mother, pretend that, uh, that she's this per other person and that she, at a certain point that she's engaged to this other person and the mom is like traumatized and very upset about it. And she just bulldozes. <laughs> oh my gosh. I Googled so it. I'm bad. like, I don't even recognize oh, any God. of this cast. Really? It's Brooks from Brooks and Dunn. He's the one that they're all trying to trick for him to, 
I can't even remember why they're trying to trick him, but they're trying to trick him to accept this this uh, couple. And I don't know. It's ridiculous. And I hated it. It was absolutely terrible. One of the ones that they did, I feel like it was a Christmas movie two years ago. It was Tyler Hines. And I can never remember the actress's name, but they used to date and he never told his family they broke up yeah and then they end up at his house together yeah oh gosh that one was good i was really proud of hallmark yeah Yeah, that one was pretty was pretty good yeah i feel like they don't do fake dating that much on hallmark do you think like i don't feel like they they don't they do too much of the fake romance used to Mm -hmm. but they did just have one on um uh when love springs it was called with rhiannon that one oh yeah thing. she is adorable that, that one was, was cute yeah. yeah yeah okay a beloved fan fave second chance romance yes and so this i think the really the first one that that i know of at least was that's persuasion is uh is jane austen's persuasion is second chance romance and uh and i think that it can help because you get to their connection right away you can immediately feel the that spark because of the history that they have with each other uh, i think sweet home, home alabama is is really good about that and that's also another one where they do a good job of making both options uh, appealing neither one is like she could be happy with either choice either guy, yeah. which i like yeah. and uh, and then the problem that sometimes this trope has is that it can be uh, a little bit dry, boring, uh, a little mm. predictable, um, which is fine if they have great chemistry and the writing is good. But uh, I think this is the one that can be the most like uh, snooze. Yeah, I think Second Chance, especially on, I mean, in, in books and in, on TV, I feel like it can be really difficult to pull off. Because yeah. <laughs> it's I like, mean, okay, you like guys could and didn't work out. I think 80% of Hallmark movies are second chance romances. Like girl oh, yeah. from the city coming back to the country, seeing yeah. the old flame. I mean, so often. And that, it's fine. Like it can be done really well. A lot of it just comes down to intangibles like chemistry and uh, and writing and things like that. Well, I was going to make a point, like a bring up a point, but I think it goes into friends to lovers. I feel like we don't see that a lot, like on Hallmark and the the other networks. And I think we see a lot of second chance because we have that time constraint. And if we do second chance, there's already built in chemistry. It can be like, oh, we dated in high school. And us as the view- viewers are like, oh, okay, they've been together. That's all we need to know. <laughs> you know, yeah. we're like yeah. with this next one, it's like, okay, now you have to build that for us and how are you going to yeah. do that in the time so well okay. friends to lovers is probably might be my favorite i do i love it it can be very hard to pull off though and maybe mm-hmm. that's why i love it when it is successful i love uh, friends to lovers too you, you have the characters have to be kind of oblivious and that can be frustrating like how can you not see the- <laughs> our Catherine davis christmas movie right <laughs> with <laughs> franco <laughs> Like, girl, so he's good. crazy about you. How do you not know? <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie when it came out, but I, I think it's only grown in my estimation the more I've thought about it. It was so good. It was <laughs> it so is. good. But, uh, but yeah, I Always Be My Maybe, When Harry Met Sally, uh, Single All the Way. Those were all friends lovers that I thought were great. But you have to be, because you don't want your characters to be 
cold or just stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know. Well, I don't think I these are necessarily friend tropes. Franco. Oh, I know. Franco put him in everything. <laughs> these aren't necessarily tropes, but like we do see a lot of, mm, I feel like in the Nora Ephron age, it was all like big city stuff, but yeah. we're, we are like in a small town era. Do you, do you feel like, is it just easier to do one versus the other? Cause I mean, essentially it's all community and you can do community. You can do small town community feel in a big city, but there's just something about these movies where they, pref- we prefer it to be set in one versus the other. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I think there is something to the Hallmark small town kind of the like myth of the Hallmark small town. Like I grew up in a small town. That's not the way small towns are. Yeah. <laughs> I did too. My hometown's a small town. I'm like, I don't know everybody's business, actually. <laughs> no. And uh, there aren't like a million festivals and, and stuff like that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes I feel like it doesn't really matter. It all comes down to the writing, as we know. Like one of my favorites, Christmas on Fifth Avenue, is a city, city movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was absolutely excellent and that one i mean they spent almost the whole movie just in this apartment in an apartment it 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 really does all come down to the writing and the chemistry which we have to shout out listeners if you haven't seen the movie you have to watch it it has the stunning katherine davis but it is also Uh an adaptation of sarah morgan's miracle on fifth Uh avenue so yay for romance yeah (laughs) so good so so good so okay I'm going to like just throw random questions at you while we to like wrap it up. Like go, let's go back to the beginning. The first rom-com that imprinted on you. What was it? Do you remember? Well, if you count, do you count like the little mermaid and beauty and the beast? Does that count? That's, that's fine. (laughs) Uh, Rachel has been tweeting a lot about the little mermaid that is upcoming. I cannot wait. I finally see it tomorrow. So by the time this airs, I will see it. You will have seen it. Okay. (laughs) And the movie will probably be fine. It's the way that Disney markets them and being like, we're updating, modernizing the original and we're going to make her an empowered woman. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) So annoying. It's going to be interesting. But uh, but hopefully it'll be good. I always rooting for every movie. I never go in thinking this is gonna be terrible. The marketing has not been strong, for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't like these. I'll, for the most part, I don't like these live action remakes. I, I'm an animation girl. But um, yeah, I, but yeah, I was thinking I mean, think as I've been watching else. your tweets, I've been like, I don't think I've watched any of the live action like Disney remakes. Actually, oh, I don't think I've seen any of blessed. them. You're blessed. <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, like cut the cutting edge. That would be pretty early. Mm, okay. Pretty early okay. rom-com that I loved. Uh, I love. Uh, I'd love you've got mail. That would be '99, so I'd be older. But um, yeah, the cutting edge. Uh, girls, uh, what's it? Um, uh, girls just want to have fun. Uh, my brain. Sorry, that's slow. I love Newsies. I have a you know young Christian Bale looking pretty uh, swoon worthy mm-hmm. singing. I'm a huge musical person, so have any of the Netflix rom coms been a hit for you? Yeah, I mean to all the boys. I liked all three of those. I thought oh yeah, all... those were gorgeous. They were beautiful to just look at. <laughs> yeah, really well done. I love Single All the Way, which was a Netflix um gay rom com that was I thought 
so good. Uh, Always Be My Maybe. That's also Netflix. Um, I liked um, Set It Up, I think. I loved that. Yeah, that oh, really that was good. such a good one. Yeah. So there have been some good ones. I hated The Kissing Booth. It was terrible. And I never watched the second or third one. Because I hated <laughs> the first one so much. <laughs> When you when you watch one that you aren't a fan of, what is it usually that you stick that sticks out that when you walk away you're like, huh, like that did not work for me? Is it is it is there ever one that like uh, for me I feel like a lot of these new the rom coms that are coming out now, the comedy is just different from the comedy that I'm used to. And my husband and I get into this a lot. Like this is why we can't really watch a lot of TV together because. I'm very like old school. I love Lucy, like physical comedy. I love shenanigans. And he's like more of the new hipster comedy where I'm like, that's not funny. And he's like dying laughing. And I'm like, this is not funny. So like, what is it that doesn't work for you? Well, it is nice when they actually lean into the comedy at all. I I, I get so annoyed. One of my pet peeves is when films are lazily deemed rom-coms just because they have romance or romance in them. Like people say ghost is a rom-com. It is not a rom-com. <laughs> no. It's a tragedy. It's sad. Like, so that even something like, I don't think, I don't really think Sleepless in Seattle is a comedy. Mm, no, I don't think so either. Lost. No. It has some comedic moments with Rosie O'Donnell and David I. Pierce and in Bill Pullman, you know, some of these other characters. But like as a whole, I would say it's it's a drama. I don't think it's a comedy or rom com. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's so hard because I sometimes the slapstick does work, and then other times it just does falls flat. I think it's very difficult. You have to have a comedic performer who can, you know, pull that off and and make that work. Um, chemistry has to be there. Uh, the right it always comes down to the writing. It always comes down to the writing. What is there anything that you've heard of that's that's on its way that you're excited for that you're like, okay, I want people to keep an eye out for this? Yeah, I mean, I'm very intrigued about the Barbie movie. I don't know what to expect. <laughs> like I thought I had a handle on kind of what it was gonna be, and then they put out this trailer with the homage to 2001 Space Odyssey, and I was like, what? <laughs> uh so I'm very confused about that. Um, I'm excited for this. They they filmed this uh, series. I forget what it's called. Um, for uh, for Hallmark this season, there's going to be a multi episode Christmas series. Uh, Interesting. That it's like it's about lights or lighting or I forget what it's called. But anyway, so I'm very curious because they had an amazing cast for it. Okay. Ooh, okay. Aaron Kale and Nikki Deloach. And, um, so that's going to be fun. And I know there's other rom-coms coming out this year, but my mind is blank. <laughs> okay. Well, you'll have to come back and we'll have to talk about them. It's yeah, fine. yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be fun. <laughs> well, plug all your stuff. Where should everybody be keeping up with you online? This is so fun. Thanks for having me on. And you can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all over social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. Check that out. I've got, like I said, every Monday... I do family movie nights and I have a month, a, a number of monthly series on there where once a month I have fe- female film critic panel and I, we talk obscure animation and, and Disney and all of that. So uh, uh, on my channel 
And then of course, uh, the Hallmarkies podcast, uh, got lots of fun stuff going on there. We have uh, weekly interviews on Mondays and then on Wednesdays there are recaps and, and uh, we cover more than just Hallmark, uh, whatever is in the rom-com holiday field uh, we, we talk about and have so much fun. And the best team ever, seriously. <laughs> I feel, I, it just blows my mind. Such a anybody, wonderful group of yeah. just movie and romance lovers. It's just so great. Oh. I love them so much. <laughs> I really do. Well, thank you for um, sharing your Monday with me. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you.